Good evening, Rabbi What a thrill and a pleasure. Is Mamish a real mishmar? Put out cholin, put out kugel, so that people have something to do rather than having to listen to the guy speaking. <laughs> Just like when I was in yeshiva. But anyway, so uh, a tremendous yashkoyach to everybody who, who worked to put this together, and uh, it's such a beautiful idea. To, uh, to bring in people uh, to come in and uh, learn the Mishmar. There were whole towns in Europe that didn't go to sleep Thursday night because they were up learning. Today there are also towns where they don't go to sleep, but they're not up learning. So, uh, so this is a throwback, Mamish, you know, to the, to the old time, to what it's supposed to be. And uh, I, just, uh, I just flew in uh, this afternoon. So, Baruch uh, Hashem, I got to get a little nap in. So, uh, um, at least one of us will probably stay up. I can't speak for everybody, you know. But uh, Rabbi Leff, the Rav Mashav would always tell the story. He says when he was a Rav in Miami, you know, Balabos came over to him and said, because of your drusha, I couldn't sleep a whole Moti Shabbos. He said, what did I say that challenged you? He says, no, it's just when I sleep during the day, I can't sleep at night. You know, so, <laughs> so, uh, so I went to some someplace and they said, listen, Rabbi, I know usually you speak very loud, you know, very dynamic, but try to speak a little softer so you don't wake everybody. <laughs> I said, okay, I'll do the best I can. But hopefully there's... there's... I, I was teaching at Samach in the intro program and this professor from Harvard University was sitting in my class. And I don't know how we came on to Shmartimus National Seichel, whatever. And he says, yeah, that food that Jews eat is so unhealthy. You know, you know what kishke is? You know what that does to you? You know what this is to you? You know what does he going down the whole menu? And everyone's like, I hope he stops before he gets to what I have. You know, nope, there it is, you know. So uh, hopefully this way, everybody will have a certain inner fire that will help to keep them up <laughs> as we examine things. Anyway... Uh, you know, I planned this trip um, really as a combination trip because, uh, you know, I don't usually make a summer trip. I usually make an Elo trip. Um, and, of course, somebody points out that, you know, you know the, they always say about the Yom Tovim, it's either early or late, but it's never on time. And this year, it is ridiculously early, you know. Um, I do a trip to Europe for the past four years. Um, and this past year we went to Venice. And uh, I, I should give a little caveat. You know, uh, Pesach Krohn does a trip like this also. But he does a lot of research and he tells a lot of stories. I don't do any of that kind of stuff. I just come along, you know. They say, well, you're not a historian. What are you doing there? I said, I think people think if they see my picture, they know it'll be fun. That's all. So we stay in a nice hotel and they fly in a caterer and he bakes his own bread and we eat well and we, we try to keep the tours, you know, kind of easy, you know, and uh, they bring in a tour guide to give all that history stuff. And I just go along and have fun and they pay me for it. What a scam. Anyway, so, uh, so we usually do a Thanksgiving weekend. So somebody pointed out that the first night Hanukkah is, comes out on Thanksgiving this year. It's only the third time in history that it came out that early, you know. So I said to the guy in charge, uh, Yehuda Fried, he runs the Siva store. I said, so what are we going to do? It's Hanukkah. He says, we'll go to Greece. <laughs> yes, we'll keep in the uh, holiday spirit. But, um, uh, you know, it's so early. In fact, I'm giving you a shir one place. that They called the shir, um, it's Elul, question mark, already, exclamation mark. <laughs> you know? It's amazing. You turn around. You know, it really kills the whole summer. And, uh, you know, I remember when I was a kid in, in camp. This was like the worst kind of a year. Because, you know, you get there and it's already the three weeks. 
And you go into the nine days, and you go into Tishabav, and it's finally over, and three weeks later, they're blowing shofar. Elul, time to do tshuva, time to wake up, time to change your life. Color war! <laughs> Whoever does the best tshuva gets ten points for their team. So uh, it, it just, you know, it, it's, it's too intense. But that's it, nothing we can do. It's Elul. It's Elul, it's an entire month where we have to try to focus. And one of the minhagim that we do is L'davr Hashem Oyri. Can I trouble you for the sitter? Thank you. Cufflings. Anyone have cufflings, maybe? I'm just... <laughs> we switched into an appeal. Anyway, I have a sitter. L'davr Hashem Oyri. I was at somebody's house 25 years ago. And, um, and he asked me the following question. In L'davr Hashem Oyri. Um... No. <laughs> Kikamu vi ede sheker vifeach chomos. Because false witnesses have come up against me. So the guy says to me, false witnesses? I mean, obviously we're saying L'dav Hashem Ori because it's Elul and it's almost Yom Adin. What's false witnesses? We're guilty. We're guilty. And I should point this out. Um... There's another popular religion, which uh, I don't want to mention, obviously the base Medrash. Suffice it to say that they don't follow the Torah, they follow the sequel, where God gets married and has a kid. But um, they, they have a term for what we call the Satan. They've turned into this character, the Satan. And Satan is evil. And he, he's a fallen angel. He rebels against HaKadosh Baruch Hu. He tries to destroy it. We can't have such a concept. So such a thing as a malach working against HaKadosh Baruch the whole idea is bizarre. Yeah? When we say the Satan, the Satan means simply the accuser. Meaning, in the heavenly court, he's the prosecuting attorney. And it makes sense. Because if you're going to have din, then you have to have a defense attorney, you have to have a prosecutor. Why don't we like the Satan? Not because he's lying, not because he's bad, because we're guilty. So when we say to Hashem, destroy the Satan, we're just following the finest... Mafia tradition where we say kill the DA. You know what I mean? Because we're guilty. But not because he's wrong. So he says, what do you mean you're bringing against us Eide Shekhar? Okay, so it's 25 years ago. So I said, I don't know. I, I think the Kipitel Tehillim is talking about Dabra Melch and he's talking about his life. speaking. And he says, they brought against me Eide Shekhar. Dabra Melch had a very, very difficult life. He was not very popular during his lifetime. And people were mavaza him. You know, and it wasn't until he was no longer in this world and they wanted to get into the base of Mikdash. And the doors wouldn't open until they said, Ms. Moshir, David, that they opened in the schuss of David Melch. But until then, he was surrounded by enemies. His father-in-law tried to kill him. 
All right, that, that we see. His, his, his son tried to kill him. Oh, you see that too. But uh, everybody was upset with him. There were people, people were, you know, the, what he went through. The Chazal said he'd be in the middle of giving a shear, and somebody would interrupt and say, excuse me, I, 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 this question just occurred to me. What's the, uh, what's the punishment for somebody who's, uh, who's boiling Eishas Ish? He says, Chenek. But he has a place in Olam Haba. You mavaza somebody, Barabim, you don't have a place in Olam Haba. This is David Amalek. This is what he had to put up with in his lifetime. I said, so he says, the bring us me Shaka because to Hillam you can very often see David Amalek talking about his life. So he says, uh, yeah, but, you know, David Hashem should have something to do with Elo. I said, I don't know, you have to be so picky on every single point, you know. I looked up at the Mepharshim, the Mepharshim say the same thing, it's talking about David Amalek, talking about the Eidei Shaka were coming against him, you know. He wasn't happy. He said, I'll have to go ask somebody else, he says. I was, uh, I wasn't so much challenged as offended. You know what I mean? What do you mean my answer's not good enough, you know? And I file these things away. You know, sometimes I give a share, they say, when did you start preparing this share? I said, 25 years ago, 30 years ago. I had the question. I never really had a good answer, you know? I, sometimes when I have a question that I just can't find an answer to, I make it the topic of a shear. I basically, I'm, I'm pushing a Kosh Baruch against the wall and I'm saying, listen, either you're going to give me an answer or I'm going to stand up there and waste everybody's time. And this almost always works. <laughs> there was one time it did not work. It was really pretty embarrassing. Um, I, uh, I couldn't understand why when he sends, um, when Yaakov sends the Shvatim down to see Yosef, who they don't know is Yosef, Tzavstans Parneach, says he's going to send them me Zimras Haaretz, what Rashi says, Zimras Haaretz are the things that Eretz Yisrael is sung about. What's in the list? Almonds, wax, and botanim, which Rashi says are pistachios, and the only time that that word appears in all of Tanakh. And I thought to myself, pistachios? What does pistachios got to do with Eretz Yisrael? Why is Eretz Yisrael sung about because of pistachios? And of course, Parshas Mikates always comes out during Hanukkah. So I called the topic pistachios the perfect gift idea. And to this day, I have never found an answer to that question. And so I got up there and had to speak about something else. It was a little embarrassing. But uh, so obviously, Kush Baruch doesn't mind sometimes saying, yeah, so you won't know. It's okay. You know? So sometimes questions sit with me. So this, this always bothered me. Right? Not because I was bothered by the question. I think it's up Shad. It's talking about David Malach. But vice versa, if we're saying it during, during Elul, there should be something that ties into it. it, it it's not just that there's one Pasek. Ancha Shaalti. Lule Hemanti. Right? The Baal Turan brings down Lule Hemanti. Lule is, 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 is the Osios Elul. Yeah? So, so obviously there's something about this capital that's there to tell me about Elul. And, and it's more than that. I heard Ramesh Shapiro speak about this on more than one occasion where he says that Elul exists in Ramozim. There's an unusual amount of, Ram, of Ramozim. Yeah, that we're rushing tables and psukim and things like that. We can all think of them on our own. You know, the, the, there are many, many more though. You keep finding them. Yeah, where Elul is alluded to in some form or another. So Elul is a very powerful thing. It's, it's hidden. So maybe he's right. Maybe there was something about Ede Shekhar in this. So I want to take that concept and move it to something that I think is extremely important. Um, 
And I think really that this is important in almost any forum, but I think tonight it's particularly important. Um, I, I will say it in the following terms. I was speaking in Cape Town, South Africa, and um, there's a school down there, Herzliya School, where uh, there's a minimum amount of Jewish studies that's introduced. And also in the school, in order to get government funding, they allow in you know, non-Jewish students as well. And of course, faculty members. So they make this encounter group. Uh, it, was, it was interesting. One year, um, there, were, there were Catholic kids and Christian kids who come along on the program. And it's all about you know, Yiddishkeit. When we bring in Rabbanim to speak about them, Yiddishkeit, you have these Christians. I had one year, it was uh, this Catholic girl comes over to me the last night, and she says, why don't Jews believe in Yashka? I said, don't ask me this question. Be a good Catholic girl, go to church, you know, say your Hail Marys, play on your rosaries, whatever. Don't ask me this question. She says, no, 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 I really want to know. I said, don't. Don't, don't even go there. You know, follow your religion, be good, you know. So, the, but she was standing there with three Jewish friends, and they said, no, we want to know too. She, she's, you know, explaining to us about Yashka and what he's done, and, you know, he died on the cross for our sins and everything, you know. Uh, we want to know why, why we don't believe in Yashka. All right, so the Yidin, I felt I had no choice. I said, it says in the Torah that Hashem will never change his Torah. Never, ever, ever. No matter how bad you are. And even if you go, you're very bad, and, uh, you know, and, and you, you, you do all these avarious, and you run away from me, and you'll be in the farthest part, I'll never give up on you, and I'll never change you, and I'll never abandon you. Never, never, never. I said, that's a really bad thing to write if you were planning on sending your only son with a new message. You should have written a Pusik like, stand by for further announcements, you know, or uh, put on an expiration date or something. But certainly not if you're planning on sending your son with a message. You certainly should not have written. And if somebody shows up and shows you signs and wonders and says, change what I've told you, kill him. Right? That's poor planning. So when Yoshka shows up and he fills all of the requirements of what the Torah tells us, this guy is a false prophet and kill him, well, how in the world could I possibly believe that a Kodesh Baruch would have written that if he wanted us to reject what he gave us and, and come in for something new? So she said, thank you very much. And uh, her friends told me the next day, she was up the whole night crying. She said, the priest always told me that Jews have no answer to this question. So... Uh, Nunu. <laughs> Life's tough all over anyway. So, um, anyway, but, uh, so I'm at this conference, and her mother, who was one of the Catholic teachers in the school, so they make a panel, a Catholic teacher, a Muslim teacher, a secular Jewish teacher, and me. Yeah? It wasn't clear what I was representing. They introduced each other. This is the secular Jew. This is the Muslim. And Rabbi Olavsky. Yeah, okay. So they were posing different questions to us. And at one point, they asked the Muslim teacher, um, being a Muslim teacher in a Jewish school, have you ever had any bad experiences? You know? And she said, yes, I did. She said, uh, there, was, uh, there was one time when um, I... Uh, a girl came over and offered me some food to eat. And I said, I can't. I'm fasting. She said, but you were fasting last week. Said, That's right. Last week, this week, and for another two weeks, it's Ramadan, we fast for a month. And the girl said, that's the craziest thing I ever heard. And she says, and I was so hurt that a Jewish girl couldn't have respect for somebody else's religion. Well, the tension in the room was terrible. 
So I said, <laughs> that was my opening gambit. <laughs> I said, I'd like to say something in this young lady's behalf. She wasn't making fun of your religion. It's just that a Jew, religiously and genetically, cannot fathom the idea of fasting for an entire month. It's against everything that we stand for. Because the one thing that we Jews do well is eat. That's it. We always eat, you know. And uh, I, I was speaking about this once a year. Whenever you have a meeting, whatever it is, they always write at the bottom, refreshments will be served, you know. Every Jewish event. I was saying this once at the University of Pennsylvania. I took a flyer down from the board, you know, and I was speaking and I made this point. I said, I want you to see this sign. It says, special series of classes on the Holocaust. Learn about the destruction of your people. Refreshments will be served. <laughs> you know, because you got to play to your strengths. And the one thing that Jews do well is eat, you know. So um, when you talk about holidays, you know, in the, on the Jewish calendar, you, you think about it in those terms, you know. And I'll do this to even a secular group. Um, I say, uh, what do we eat on Rosh Hashanah? Uh, right away, apple and honey. Apple and honey. Today, people in Wamakba, they do all those funny simonim. You know what I mean? Everything in the Mishnah Bureau, Mamish, anything you can pick out, you know? Baruch Hashem. But, uh, because we're not so good about doing tshuva and davening, but eating, we do very well. And if I eat this, I'll have a good year? You got it. Where do I sign up? I wouldn't normally eat leeks, but, you know, this will work for me fenugreek, but I'm there. No problem. <laughs> I'll eat almost anything if I think it's better than doing tshuva. Anyway... So I say, Hanukkah? I said, Latkes. Latkes, of course. So Sufganiyot, if you're of that persuasion. Yeah, you know, we, we grew up with Latkes, you know. Um, uh, Purim is Hamantashen, you know. Shvurus is cheesecake, you know. I said to the group, what is it? Tishabav, egg and ashes. I said, even a fast day has to be associated with a food. You know what I mean? You can't just fast. There's got to be a food for the fast day, you know. <laughs> Interestingly enough, there is a minug on... Yom Kippur, obviously Arab Yom Kippur, to eat kreplach. Eat kreplach. Um, there are different reasons for this. Uh, the simplest answer that when I asked this to my kids, they said, because it tastes good. I think that's a good answer. But uh, in Israel, where I'm living there now 25 years, a few weeks will be 25 years I'm in Israel. Um, one of the things about Israel is it's very hard to get Jewish food there. You know, you can get, like, Arab food that they think is Jewish food, but it's not. Jews have never eaten falafel throughout history. This can be documented. You know what I mean? Hummus, this whole hummus dip thing. You know, we didn't do this, you know. So. But if you want to get, like, uh, kreplach, you have to wait for a holiday. You know what I mean? Yom Kippur, Shana Raba, Purim, then you can get kreplach. Otherwise, they just don't sell it there, you know. It's, uh, it's hard to get. Well, I was in Israel for a week. We made Aliyah in August, you know. I was there for a week. The ice cream man came around. It was really great. So I wanted to get ices. I said, do you have lemon? He said, no. I said, do you have cherry? He said, no. He said, do you have grape? He said, no. Okay, what do you have? Sabra and pomegranate. I see. <laughs> okay, we're not in Kansas anymore, Toto. You know what I mean? Like, you know, we're, we're coming at it from a different perspective, yeah? But, uh, so it's hard to get grandpa unless you're on the holiday time, you know? So the fact that it tastes good, it should be around all the time. Yeah. 
Uh, so it's a pachka. No, no, you know. But uh, but uh, what, what is what is the idea of it? You know, that, that a person has to eat these things. That's the question number one. We have to question number two. That's question number two. First one is the Adi Shaker. And the uh, second one I throw in is Kreplach. And here's my third one. Um, also by way of introduction. When you're in, when you grow up from, there's so many things you take for granted, you don't even think about it. Could you imagine a non-from person walking in on Hoshana Rabbah when everyone get, bends down and starts doing their whomping with the willows? You know, whomping willow, yeah, if you know the reference, yeah. Whomp, 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 and then we throw it on top of the uh, Oren Kodesh. And people are watching this. And I said, well, you know, we're beating the din down to the ground. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> Why, you know? Well, because, you know, the Arava represents the Jew who doesn't have any mitzvahs or any or any Maisim uh, Tovim. Doesn't have any Maisim Tovim with Torah. So what do we do? We make him part of Klai Yisrael. We put him together in Dalaminim for a week. Then, if he doesn't change, we bang him on the ground, throw him on top of the Aron Kodesh, and burn him come Pesach. So, uh, that's what somebody said to me, you know. I tried to give him this beautiful word, you know. Well, if Klaus was one, they said, yeah, for a week. None of the person doesn't change, we're done, you know. Anyway, but you walk in, I, uh, I saw somebody come into the Whomping Willow ceremony, and they just didn't get it, you know. We were learning the, the psukim of Zechronos and Malchios and Shoifers before Rosh Hashanah. And public school kids were going through the pursuit. The Yizkelekim is Noach. She had never heard the story of Noach. So this girl advisor starts telling her, you know, you know, Friday and Bushy Tail, well, you see, God destroyed the entire world by making it rain for 40 days and 40 nights. And so Noach had to build a big boat and take two of every animal on board. And the girl's looking at her like she just fell from the moon. He's like, you believe that? It's like, um, yeah. <laughs> I mean, a big boat? Two of every other? I mean, where would you fit them, you know? It's like, I, I don't know. I never really thought about it, you know? Like, you just take it for granted. Just take it for granted, you know? So a lot of things you just take it for granted. So we went to do Tashlich. And I was in the yeshiva in Eitzel. There's a guy who had never done Tashlich in his life. Now I'm, uh, I'm going uh, to do Tashlich. And uh, I grew up in Long Island. And uh, Long Island, like, I can, I'm, I'm sure Muncie, you know, has many natural bodies of water, you know. Um, my brother wanted to dig a well here in Muncie, he told me, and uh, he dug down and he hit an underground river, you know. We don't have that in Yerushalayim. Through most of Yerushalayim's history, there was no water. You could still see old Yerushalmis. If you leave the water running, they have a heart attack right on the spot. Someone told me Rabbi David Briska takes a bath, Erev Shabbos, and then his wife uses the water to do the sponge. You know what I mean? Because Yerushalmis have a very... You know, they knew what it was when there was no water. Through most of Yerushalayim's history, it rained. You filled up your cistern, and if your cistern ran out of water, that was it. Before it started to rain again, you were done. You had to wait for an Arab to come on a camel with two, like, you know, uh, you know, big pottery things filled with water and, you know, give you a couple of cups. You know, and that was it. There's no water. Now we have water. We take it for granted. But still, there are no major bodies of water. So Tashlech, when I was in America, you know, I was in Long Island, you'd go and you'd walk to a little stream or a little lake, you know, and it was so beautiful, you know. Now you don't have that over here. So uh, I live in Harnof. 
So people aim for the water tower up on the top. They head that way. Some people go down for the pool, down in Beit Zayit. You know, but that has enough sins in it already. I don't want to... Some people, if we go up to my neighbor, they would do the they would do this fish tank. I said, that, that would just break the whole thing. I just got too much to fill up in a fish tank, you know. Some people just turn on the water faucet, you know. But, uh, you know, in certain areas, they go, in, in Meisharim, there's still wells. They un- uncover a well, you know. Anyway, so we were in Pagi, you know, if you know that section. And there's a park where there's a giant yellow box where there's supposed to be a well underneath. So hundreds of Yidin are gathering around and davening to this giant yellow box. Yeah. And this kid who's never been to Tashlik before is watching this. So he says, what are we doing? I said, we're throwing our sins into the water. He says, won't they bounce off the box? And I said, you know, now that you asked the question, and let's say there was no box, then you were okay with this? <laughs> then, then it does make sense, you know? We have to go down to the riverside and throw in all of our sins? I'm like, that's it? I thought we had to dive in and do tuba and stuff. Nah, go down to the waterside, throw them in. In fact, I'll go once a week so I don't have any buildup. You know what I mean? Okay, I'll be here next week at Kosh Baruch Hu. Don't worry about it. I'm clean as a whistle now, but I'll be back in a week. I'll throw in a little bit and I'll bring a little bread for the fish. You know what I'm saying? You know, make sure everybody gets a cut, you know? I mean, and we do this. I don't know how many people ever stop to think about it, you know? What are we doing? We're throwing our sins in the water. So, I, uh, I, I want to say that there are two terms that we're familiar with. One is a bar mitzvah, and one is a balaveira. A bar mitzvah, we all know, when you become 13, you become a bar mitzvah. Yeah. <laughs> I was talking to a secular group once. I said, does anyone know what a bar mitzvah is? He says, yeah, that's when you get to get drinks from the bar. You know, you get your kid, you get your friends, and we all steal drinks from the bar. That's why it's called a bar mitzvah. I said, uh, it's a mitzvah to go to the bar. Is that the idea? Yeah, that's right. You know? Okay, that's one approach. Yeah, a bar mitzvah, of course, means a son of a mitzvah. What's a bal avera? I own an avera. Now, those two ideas are dramatic. Because... Hopefully, we understand that we're not our possessions. Yeah? Um, people who made it through the Holocaust and came to Hetzel, or came to America with nothing, but mamish nothing, the shirt on their back. You know, I, I, we're in families today, you know, where people, you know, fight over who's going to get the leichter, and who's going to get the becher, and who's going to get the kara, you know. When my father was nifter, one brother went to the house and took the becher, another one went and took the kara, somebody else went and took something else. My mother said, there won't be anything left for you. I said, all right, so I'll take the cash. But anyway, I'm not so sentimental. But anyway, <laughs> you know, I'll remember Dad that way. But anyway, <laughs> the... Um, uh, there's a um, there's a shuk in Krakow, I think it is. You know, uh, it's interesting. Um, I, I've gone to Prague, I've gone to Venice. Uh, they want me to go to Krakow. I, they said there's a lot of shuls and a lot of things. And they're more, you know. I said uh, I'm not going to go to Krakow because if I go to Krakow, you're going to make me go to Auschwitz. 
Uh, I have no interest in going to Auschwitz. You know, it's uh, um, I, I don't I don't do well with death and destruction. You know, I think we have enough of that already in our Yiddishkeit today. That we need less death and destruction, and we need more happy times. You know, Mati Berger once said, you know, the reason that so many Jews left Yiddishkeit is because they only went to Shul on Rosh Hashanah and Kippur. If they had gone on Purim and some Chastera, they would have seen a different religion. You know what I mean? But uh, there's only so much you know, crying and browbeating and you know, death and destruction that a person can handle. You know? So uh, I, you know, I know there are people who find it very inspiring. I, it wouldn't work for me. I, I, I like to stay in a nice hotel and eat catered food and you know, go around and look at pretty buildings and, you know, and give fun shiurim. And that's my idea of Yiddishkeit, which is one of the reasons that uh, I've uh, been rather successful. Because I think a lot of people like that more than death and destruction. You know, not to take away from death and destruction, which has its own particular delight, you know, but because it doesn't really work for me. Um, Anyway, but, uh, you know, it's, um, uh, you know, uh, there's a shook in Krakow, they tell me, where the Poles are selling all of these Judaica. After they killed everybody, you know, they had all these menorahs and, uh, you know, and and, and, and Bechers and Kairas and Abdullah sets and, you know, sell sell them, sell them back to the Jews. And you think, gosh, how many families were split up over who's going to get this and who's going to get that? In the end, who got it? Yeah? Story with Chaim Velozhina, where they bring him in. These two, two people are arguing over a field. He says, well, let's see the field. Each one gives their tinnitus. And he says, wait, I only heard from the two of you. I haven't heard from the field. He says, uh, okay. So he puts his ear to the ground. And he comes up and he says, well, what does he say? He says, why are the two of them fighting over who I belong to when one day they'll both belong to me? That's the end of the story. That's how you know it's a litvishish story. <laughs> Sometimes I tell a story and people say, what happened? I said, I don't know. It's a litvishish story. It has no ending, you know. Because stories always have, and then, you know, everyone lived happily afterwards, you know, and then there was a, there's a, litvishish just tell the story and then, that's it, we're done. Anyway, move on. Anyway. <laughs> but uh, so uh, people get very attached to possessions. But you see, how many people start off their life with nothing, mamish nothing, the shirt on their back, you know? People with balichuva, you know, they don't come in with 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 family, uh, you know, uh, you know, traditions and things. They have to build their own, you know. So you can't get too attached to a thing. You have to be able to make that distinction, and people don't. And that's why, you know, uh, I remember when there was a recession that hit the blue-collar uh, workers in the 70s, it wasn't so bad because they didn't identify themselves by their job. You know, it, when he'd introduce himself, he wouldn't say, I, 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 you know, I work on, uh, you know, on, the, on the assembly line, you know. He says, I'm a member of this lodge, I bowl. You know, well, the other things that blue-collar workers do that are meaningful, you know what I mean? Whatever it is, uh, I drink beer, you know what I mean? Like I, the, the work is just something that you do, it's a hechatimsa. But in the 80s, when it hit the white-collar workers, they said it was much worse because that's their identity. I am this. I am a lawyer. I am, a, I am an accountant. I'm a, I define myself by what I do. And when you lose that, it's much harder. And there are people who are so attached to possessions that if they lose their house or they lose their car or they lose it, you know, they lose things that they don't know where to go. They're stuck. Things tend to define people. I've had this question from you know, people on more than one occasion where they say, you know, in the, in the Haredi world, 
Everybody dresses in black and white. You guys have no individuality or identity. I said, you need clothes to establish an identity? Don't worry, you don't have any identity to start with then. If you need an outfit to give you an identity, I, nobody has ever accused me of not being an individual. It doesn't matter what I wear, you know? That's it? You, you, know, you have an outfit, now you're an individual? And if somebody comes in wearing the same outfit, you've lost your whole purpose of who you are in this world? You know? David Gottlieb, who's a professor of philosophy, I used to teach with him in Or Sameach, it was a lot of fun because, you know, if, you, if he got upset at you, he could prove that you don't exist. And uh, <laughs> that really can bum out your whole day. You know what I mean? You know? So, I used to say, we keep Rabbi Gottlieb on staff for one reason, you know, because he basically gets up and speaks and no one knows what he's talking about. But the message is simple. I'm clearly much smarter than you and I believe in this, so who are you to argue with me, you know? And, and that's compelling. A lot of people are, you know, he's right, you know, basically. <laughs> And he dresses, he's the boss in the chassid, you know, he's dressed like a chassid. So a guy comes in, doesn't know who he is, he's listening to a class, and he raises his hand, he says, well, Rabbi, if you had gone to college, um, he, was a, uh, he was a professor of uh, philosophy and mathematics in Johns Hopkins. He says, well, if you'd gone to college, then you would know the following. And he starts to say something, and Rabbi Gottlieb is listening very patiently, and I was like, oh, man, you know. <laughs> And Gottlieb says, you know, that's such an interesting point because I wrote my thesis on that. And he starts writing all of these, you know, equations on the board because his, his thesis was in the, lo- the logic of mathematics. You know, and he's writing all these equations and that. And he says, you understand what I'm saying here? And the guy's like, uh, yeah. <laughs> well, I think he had to have become from after that. He had no choice. But, uh, you know... Um, it presents, you know, pre- presents ideas, you know, and you, you, you try to um, uh, take a look. You try to understand, you know, what am I, what am I doing? Who am I? I'm not my possessions. Possessions are things that I own, but they don't define me. They don't define me, hopefully. There are people who, nebuch, they lose their car, they lose their house. They don't have to do with themselves, you know. So, um, I... I uh, this is this is a moment in, in history. So, uh, for those of you who are old enough to remember it, you know, um, Dr. Pepper was trying to break into the soft drink market, which was cap was basically captured by Coke and Pepsi, you know. And then Dr. Pepper was trying to get in. How's that for a segue? Anyway, thank you. I just do it for the caffeine. So, uh, yeah. So, Dr. Pepper came out with this, this jingle. I drink Dr. Pepper and I'm proud. I'm part of an original crowd. So, if you want to go around today, you'll see there's a Dr. Pepper craze. I'm a pepper, he's a pepper, you're a pepper. Wouldn't you like to be a pepper too? I'm a pepper. I don't drink Dr. Pepper. I am a pepper. In my Metzius, I have become a pepper. They had, they had pins that people would wear. I'm a pepper. Are you a pepper? No, I'm a Coke. You're a Coke? He's a Pepsi. Hi, Pepsi. I'm a pepper. <laughs> Could you really define yourself by that? You know? This guy is driving a Porsche and this... And this truck sideswipes him. And the guy comes out 
And he says, look what you did to my Porsche. You ripped the door off my Porsche. My Porsche is the most important thing. You're like, you ripped off my Porsche. And the guy says, are you crazy? I ripped off your arm. He looks at him and goes, my Rolex. <laughs> you know, okay. You know. If, you, if you see, you know, before there were computers, there were televisions. Before there were televisions, there were radios. Before that, there was Morse code. I'm not going back that far. But in radio, they used to have... People would sit around all night and watch the radio, which was, I guess, kind of silly. But uh, that's what they did. Watch the radio, and they had television shows. Uh, radio shows, yeah. And the most popular comic was a Jewish guy who went by the name of Jack Benny. And he has the record for the longest laugh on, on radio. He's at a party, and he steps outside in the street, and this mugger comes to him, and he says, no, 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 I'm not on the street, like, you can't mug me, I'm just in the party here, I just stepped out for a breath of air, you know, like, he's explaining to the guy with the gun who's holding him up, he says, no, no, you can't really rob me, because I'm not really on the... Anyway, so the guy says, well, your money or your life? And Jack Benny goes like this. And it was like two minutes of just, just people laughing, you know. And finally the guy says, well, he says, I'm thinking, you know. And people think that way. Sometimes, you know, to let go of a possession. Let go of a possession, you know. How much is it worth? How much is it worth? I was in Israel for a year, and I came back with my kids. And, you know, I have to entertain them, you know. When I was growing up, Cholomoed was a time when you actually spent time at home. Like sukkahs, you build the sukkah, and you'd sit in the sukkah. That was, it was a concept, you know. Uh, I don't know about in America, but in Israel, you have to always go on trips now, so that you're not in the sukkah. You have to always take along food that you can eat outside of the sukkah, because you have to spend sukkahs outside of the sukkah. So, it's like gullus within a gullus. But, um, uh, you know, so you go on these two limbs. So, of course, I'm here in the summer with my kids. i got to do something with them, you know. So, I'm going to take them to Manhattan. Take them to Manhattan, take them to Central Park, you know. See if we can see the seedy side of life, you know. Um, so, my brother, Gedalia, lent me his van. So I go to park. Now, being a Jew, I cannot pay for parking. Um, a Jew has no problem buying a $100,000 car, but they cannot pay for parking. Yeah, they will circle around all of Manhattan Island. Eventually, they'll park in Brooklyn and walk if they have to, but, you know, have to pay, you know. Anyway, I'm circling around... Um, Central Park looking for a parking spot with, for a van and it's just not happening. So I finally, I break down, I pull into a lot. Now this was 24 years ago when money had a little bit different meaning, you know. Anyway, I pull in and they say to me, uh, it's, um, it's, it was like, I think 20, it was $18 an hour. I said, $18 an hour? Why well, is a ripoff? Goes, you want to go back out there? And the kids are crying and screaming. I was like, okay, fine. <laughs> fine. He goes, oh, wait a second. It's a van. Double for a van. $36 an hour. Uh, okay, he had me. There's nothing I could do. So I, I parked the van. We go out. I said, kids, you're going to see Central Park in an hour or less. That's it. There's no way I'm paying for more than an hour. Let's go. See that? Oh, it's very impressive. You know, look down there. See that? Wow, that's, that's very, very famous. Okay, let's go fast, fast, fast. Back to the car. <laughs> and I get back and there's a different guy on duty. And he says to me, $18. And I struggled like Yosef HaTzadik <laughs> with my innermost Yetzirah. Asia's Potiphar was nothing. 
this is 18 bucks. <laughs> 24 years ago, when 18 bucks meant something. Uh, it was Mamish. If, when, in the, there's, a, there's a little Sefer Torah that's still being written. You know, the, 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 that's the two psukim in between the two nunim. Is everything that's taking place is being written down in that. The Chidah speaks this out, but it's all being written there. And I'm sure when this moment is written down, because I'm sure this went down in history, it's one of the most important events of the past 2,000 years, you know, there's going to be a shalshelis over me, you know. <laughs> and finally, through gritted teeth, I said, is it the same price for a van? And he says, oh, no, you're right, $36. And I had one of my Talmudim with me, and he says, Wow, what a tzaddik you are. <laughs> I said, it's easy to be a tzaddik for $18. You know, I said, it's not really true, it wasn't easy. But, uh, you know, but I could be a tzaddik for $18. I said, could you be a tzaddik for $18,000? He said, what do you mean? I said, in my little shtetl of Harnof, three people had their cars stolen. Yeah? That's, by the way, where the Hasidic color stolen came from. You know, my car was stolen. Sorry, never talk because so many people's cars were stolen. So, anyway, my car was stolen. Uh, and all three people were asked the same question by the insurance company. Was your alarm on? And all three of them knew the implication of this question because if the alarm wasn't on, you're not covered. And all three of them told the truth. No, the alarm wasn't on. And their cars were stolen and they didn't get a penny back. Three people in the same year. You know, and one of the guys said to me, he says, I had a friend of mine, he started learning a whole concept of Torah. It's an insurance company, it's not really this, it's not an individual, and then, you know, they won't miss it, the whole thing. And he said, Oh, I didn't know what a chava you are. You love me so much, you'll lie and steal for me. Baruch Hashem. Now I know you're a real friend. <laughs> he said, But there's a moment, you know, where I have to tell the difference between who I am and where my possessions are. It's, it's a sad reality because if you ask the average person, from person, what's the most important thing to you in life? Avodah Hashem, learning Torah, my children. So what do you spend most of your time doing? Making money. Why? I need it to give to tzedakah. I need it for my kids. I need it for this. I need it for that. You can't get by in less. Maybe work a little less, make a little less money, spend more time with your kids, learn more time. Now nah, you don't. You don't understand. You don't understand. I can sign. You know. But the question is, when when you have to make that decision, you know, am I my possessions? At the end of the day, most people can make a distinction between who they are and what their possessions are. A balavera tells me that the averas are not me. They're not be'etzim me. There's something that I own. There's something that I possess. But they're not me. Um, when you... Uh, I was speaking in a, a girls' high school in the New York area. And um, I was talking about who you really are. And uh, this girl says... But what if who you really are is somebody evil? And I look around and I see girls nodding along. I said, you really believe that? You think in your essence you're evil? 
You Voldemort, you split your soul so many times that you're not, is Marsh is not a shred of, you're Darth Vader, you know? He does chew at the end, for example. But, uh, you know, you're the epitome of evil? You believe that? And the Territ says, yes, I believe that. Because the Eitzahara, like all bad guys, don't play by the rules. Good guys play by the rules. Bad guys don't. Bad guys say, your shoelace is untied. Bam! Bad guys say, okay, we're going to back up, walk ten paces and shoot. And as soon as you turn around, they shoot you in the back. Bad guys don't play by the rules. Yeah, so, so the Yetzirah Tov, who's a good guy, he's the little voice inside of you telling you to do the right thing. And he says, um, you really want to get up in the morning and go to Shulam Davin. In fact, you really want to get up earlier and learn. And the Yetzirah says, no, I don't. Now, do you see the little switch there? Uh, a pronoun trouble. <laughs> it's not, no, I don't. It's, no, you don't. The Yetzirah Tov said, you, you want to get up in the morning. And the Yetzirah says, no, I don't. And you hear that voice inside of you saying, no, I don't. And you think that's you talking. But it's not you talking. I said to her, I said, when you get up to Shemayim, and you don't have a goof, and you don't have a Yetzirah, you think you're going to be sitting in Shemayim plotting how to overthrow a Kurdish Baruch and take over Olam Haba? I said, you really believe that? I said, the Yetzirah inside of you, he doesn't want you to go into a hate that's small time stuff. This guy's the most important Malach out there. He tempts you as the Yetzirah, says the Gemara. He accuses you as the Satan. And then as the Malach Amavis, he carries out the sentence. You know how busy this guy is? And he's also the Sarah Asif. You know what I mean? This guy's busy. Mavish Yom He's the busiest Malach out there. He's tempting. He's accusing. He's killing. He's going around. This guy's so busy. He's got time to worry about you doing an Avera? No, he's got a better thing. He's much better shtick. He says, you're nothing. What are you bothering doing a mitzvah for? You think a Kodesh Baruch Hu cares about your stupid little mitzvah? After all the bad things you've done, you've got the chutzpah now, all the Lashonara you spoke, and all the Bithel Torah, and now you're going to use that mouth to daven that Kodesh Baruch Hu? Feh! Feh! Who needs you in show? You might as well sleep late. Yeah, he's right. <laughs> now, if he told you to sleep late, don't go to shul. Come on, any good Musa Shmuz can beat that. Be gone, O evil one. I arise like a lion. Roar! <laughs> to do the Avodah Hashem. Okay, so I won't go to the first minion. I'll go to the second minion. Okay, I won't go to the second minion. I'll go to the third minion. Okay, uh, I can go to Vishnu. It's still davening chakras. Not a problem. You know what I mean? You know, it's still going. You know, I'll find something. I'll go. But if you, but if you tell me that Kodesh Baruch Hu doesn't want my tefillahs, a young lady in seminary once said to me, we get these lists of people to daven for who are sick. And I daven for them, and sometimes they get better, and sometimes they die. But do you think it has anything to do with me? Do you think it has anything to do with me? You think I daven and this guy got better? That's the Itzahara talking. The Itzahara wants to make you believe that you sit down and say, and it doesn't make any difference. You know why? Because otherwise, we blow... A hundred chauffeur blows. What's the last blow for? To confuse the Satan. Because he's going to hear that last tekiah, and he's going to think it's the tekiah of Mashiach. 
As of Henoch Leibowitz, Shiva of Chavetz Chaim. It's 2,000 years and he's still falling for the same trick? Why isn't he just buy a machza? <laughs> he can follow along like everybody else, you know? He said, the Yetzirah is not stupid, we are. He knows how close we are at that moment to turning that last tekiah into the tekiah of, of Mashiach. And he's sittering. And Baruch Hashem, every year, we live down to his expectations. And he's like, that was a close one. I was almost out of a job. You know what I mean? Because if people believed at the end of Rosh Hashanah Davening that my tekiah is going to bring Mashiach, let's be honest. How many people in this room believe that you, I don't mean we, I don't mean you, plural. You, as an individual, as the one who's going to bring Mashiach. Then when Mashiach comes, he's going to come over to you and put his hand on his shoulder and say, Shkoyach. You know, I couldn't have done this without you. Oh, who are you kidding? V'chaim Kanievsky, he's going to bring Mashiach. You understand? There'll be some gadol, some holy man. Me? I'm going to bring Mashiach? You know who's telling you that? It's only the Eitzahara. Because if you knew how powerful you were and what you were capable of, then he's out of a job. My first year of learning was the Chavetz Chaim in Israel, Moshe Chait. And he told the story. He says, when I was a kid, I went to the, to the zoo in Philadelphia and a lion roared. And I was a little kid. I was really scared. I said to the zookeeper, can he break out of the cage? He says, yeah. But don't worry about it. He doesn't know. And, and, and Moshe Chait looked at us and said, and that's every single one of us. Because we can all do good things. That, that's a mistake. We can all do great things. The answer says, you? Your tefillah? Your mitzvah? Your learning? You're going to change anything? <laughs> you're going to sit there with the arts book of moment. <laughs> you know, you're going to sit there and daven. You don't talk during davening? You know what an avera that is? And you come to shul? What for? Stay home. Who needs you? Sometimes the Yetzirah actually dresses up like a rabbi. That is really scary. But, uh, you know, who needs you? Who needs you, Avodah Hashem? The Alta Slobotka says the entire universe was created, and not like the world we have now, which is a Chorban on top of a Chorban on top of a Chorban. The world in perfection. Yeah? Where, where, the, where bread grew on trees, where everything was perfect, there was no disease, there was no illness, there was no death. Everything, the world was created in perfection for one mitzvah. Don't eat from that tree. That was it. One mitzvah, and it was a loza, I said. <coughs> I know how many people have an issue with Lashon Hara. I know there are some people who do, and, and we know who they are. Anyway. <laughs> and I'm prepared to name names, okay? Anyway. <laughs> One time I was trying to explain why people speak Lashon Hara, and I said, you know, I said, you know who speaks Lashon Hara? They said, who? I said, no, no, I mean, what kind of a person? I wasn't going to actually tell you who, anyway. But, uh, it's just automatic. But, uh, you know, I don't know how many people have Lashon, you know, wrestle with Lashon Hara. I know I do for sure, you know. And occasionally, you have the strength not to say a piece of Lashon Hara. You have a real juicy piece that you really want to say, that's a really good thing that you heard. You want to tell it to your wife, you want to tell it to your chaver, you know, you want to tell it to somebody because it's like so good, you know. You don't want just to sit inside of you and fester, you know. It's like, I knew this guy <laughs> from South Africa. He, um, his mother was Hasidish and his father was a hell's angel biker. Boy, would I like to meet that shadchan. I don't know what he was thinking. Anyway, so the guy was, let's say, confused. Anyway, <laughs> but... Uh, 
he used to have this line. He'd say, I always say when you have a bad mood, don't keep it. Share it with others. <laughs> it's not like to bring it and spread it around, you know. But, uh, you know, a person, a person, you know, wants to spread this lush that And you don't say it. And there's a voice inside of you that says, oh, come on, you speak Lashon Hara so many times. This one time's going to make a difference? That mitzvah losah say, and that's because the entire universe was created for one mitzvah losah say. That's a koyach when you do a mitzvah. When you make a bracha, when you do any little, th- a little thing. I'm not talking about a big thing. A little thing can do it to make an entire... Difference can be the reason the entire universe was created. The other says, who cares about what you do? Your mitzvah makes a difference. You think when I daven? You hear this all the time. People get up at a Shevet Brachas to speak, you know. And at the end they said, I'll give you a birchas hedyet. Right? Birchas Because the Gemara says, that birchas hedyet shouldn't be kalbein of shouldn't be light in your eyes. If you take a look at that Gemara, it brings two examples of Goyesha kings. When we say Berchus Hedjet, we mean from a Goy. Aye, there's a Gemara where Kodesh Baruch Hu asks Bishmo uh, Kohen Gadol for a bracha. Says Rishul Muzalman, that's Klape HaKodesh Baruch Hu you could call uh, a bracha of a Jew, a Berchus Hedjet. But when a Jew gives a bracha, there's no such a thing as a Berchus Hedjet. There's no such a thing. You give somebody a bracha, and that might be the reason that they have a child. Or they find a shidduch. Or they find a job. Or their kids come back. Or they have hatzloch and learning. Or anything else. You know why? Because you don't have a berchah's head yet. You give a bracha, you're part of Klai Yisrael. Ben Avram, Yitzhak, and Yaakov. Mamlechah's koanim. There's no berchah's head yet by a yid. And how many people go over and give somebody a bracha who doesn't have any children and say, I give you a bracha, you should have children. We don't do it because we feel stupid. My bracha is going to be mekuyim? I'm going to, this kid's going to, this, this person's going to have a baby because of my bracha? This person's going to do tshuva because of my bracha? This person's going to get a parnosa because of my bracha? That's right. And the Yitzhahara is inside of you telling you, you don't make a difference. You know why? Because in your etzim you're no good. I spoke once in Baltimore some 20-something years ago about an organization for the bad Beziakov girls. What a scary concept. The bad Beziakov girls. Who knows what they did. Maybe they didn't have a pleated skirt. I don't know what. I don't even want to go into it. It's too scary to even. And I'm talking to girls 14, 15, 16 years old who have already given up on life. And I said, you're going to live for another 60 years, 70 years. You've already given up. <coughs> and anything I tried to tell them, was, I, was undo, I had to undo years of people convincing them that they're no good. And we think we're a bar Avera, not a Baal Avera. We don't own Averas, we are evil. It's not that we possess sins. We are sinful. We are bad. Kianu amecha v'yata elokeinu 
Anu vanecha veata vinu ay ay ay. Anu karmecha veata nochenu. Anu tzaynecha veata roenu. We're your children and you're our father. We're our people and you're our king. We're, our, we're your friend and you're our friend. We're your beloved and you're our beloved. Does that sound like you're a Russia? Does that sound like you're evil? Does that sound like Kush Baruch has anything to do with you? You know how many times I hear people say, I feel like Kush Baruch doesn't care if I'm in this world or not. I said, make no mistake about it. He has no shortage of ways of getting rid of you if he doesn't want you here. <laughs> he didn't lose the file. He still knows you're here. You know what I mean? You know? It's not like he turns around one day and says, you're still here? <laughs> it doesn't work that way. He knows who you are. He's all-powerful, all-knowing, all that. And if you're here, he wants you here because there's something you can do in this world. Ah, Kodesh Baruch doesn't care if I'm here or not. This is it. This is that voice inside of us. That's the Yetzirah, who's a liar. He doesn't play fair. He talks in your own voice and you think it's you. That's the Eitzahara. So I found the Grah in Tehillim. He says, Who are the Ede Sheka coming against me? It's the Eitzahara. Because he's inside of you and he's testifying falsely. He's saying, You're no good. You're a bad guy. But you know who I really am? I'm a bar mitzvah. Who I am in my essence, whether we like it or not, is a child of our parents. You know? They did a study, I read, uh, years ago, where they had kids who were adopted at birth by parents who were, by nature, generous. Why they gave the kids for adoption is a question, but okay. They couldn't handle it, whatever it was. But they came from a family that was genetically generous, and they were adopted by families that were cheap, and they became generous people. And people came from families that were genetically cheap, and they were adopted by families that were balichasodim, and they still remained cheap. There was something integral in who they were as a person. You know? For better or for worse, we're the products of our parents, genetically and otherwise. You know? My father had this expression I couldn't stand. For crying out loud. <laughs> for crying out loud, you know. Anyway, I, I heard one of my kids using this expression. I said, that's amazing. How could he know that? Because he never knew my father. It must be just genetically that he knows that. Built inside of him. Because he couldn't have heard it from me. I can't stand that expression. <laughs> but do you ever find yourself using your parents' expressions, you know? Especially the ones that you couldn't stand, you know? It, it becomes so much a part of us. You know, a kid who went off told me this you say. He says, don't worry, everybody comes back. Everybody comes back. You know, and when they go off, if, if you scratch the surface, they still have their parents' values. You know, they believe in, 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 in the things that they grew up with and what they accepted. It becomes a part of them. Very hard to undo. Um... There was this guy who was a successful balabos in Israel, and his wife said, "You know, uh, could you pick up, uh, you know, you know, a dinner for the kids? You know, get their favorite." So, what was their favorite? So they called steak lavan. For those of you who are not familiar with that, that was a, that's called pork chops, steak lavan. 
My father went to Israel the first time in 1968. He went to a restaurant, which he assumed was kosher, because it had Hebrew writing on it. <laughs> and he sees on the menu this thing called white steak. We've never heard of it. He says, what's that? He says, pork. He says, what? I come to Israel, I eat pork? Not a chance. What is with you people? <laughs> How dare you? <laughs> but uh, steak levan. So he's waiting online to buy the pork for his kids. And he suddenly remembers a story about his grandfather. His grandfather was in a concentration camp. And, um, and it was liberation. The Nazis were leaving the camp. And this guy had kept kosher the whole time. And they assembled the whole camp. And the Nazi says, we're leaving. We're leaving. You'll be liberated. You can go back to your life. But first we're going to eat this piece of pork. And he says, I never ate trade for my life. And the guy pulls out a gun and he says, you're one day away from liberation. You're either going to eat this piece of pork or I'm going to blow your brains out. He says, I never ate trade for my life. I'm not going to start now. And he shot him and he killed him. And as he's waiting in line, he remembers this story. And he says, my grandfather got killed, not to eat treif, and I'm picking up for his great-grandchildren, treif? How can this be? One of us is crazy. So he buys other meat, and he brings it home. And he says, they didn't have any pork, I'm sorry, you know, whatever it was. And, uh, and he starts looking around, and he stumbles onto Arachim. And he's a very intelligent fellow, and he starts arguing with them. And, not, you know, and after a while, he realizes that this is true. And he became the international president of Arachim. It's a story that I heard Pesach Kron tell. So it must be true, because he researches it. You know what I just hear something and I say it over. I don't really check anything out. Could be it's true, could be it's not. But, um, uh, but here's a guy, you know, who, who what he got from his parents, he remembers. He remembers this. It was Moise Nefesh. The Gemara says, anything we were moist and effish for, we always keep. You know? So, we're a bar mitzvah. That's who we are in our essence. You know what we do tashlich? Right at the beginning of the says make tshuva. We take all our various and we throw them off. You can't throw your arm into the water. You can't throw in your leg. You know? But you can throw in your various because they're not you. They're a burden that I carry, but they're external. I'm a balavera. They don't define me. The Yetzirah is wrong. I'm not a bad guy. I'm a bar mitzvah. And there's no way to do tshuva as long as you think you're a bad person. I always thought, when you look at Kreplach, it's a piece of dough. You cut it open and there's meat inside. I don't know if that's the right word or not, but I can for sure tell you that's what they say by why we eat a Ramon and the Seder. Uh, the Rosh Hashanah Seder, as they, some people call it. Yeah, For the Simonim, you have, a, you have a Ramon. The worst Jew, it says. The worst Jew is filled with mitzvahs like a Ramon. You know how you eat a Ramon? It's really very difficult. Most of it is psilis. And you're cutting it open and it's dripping all over and you have to pick out these seeds. Then when you eat the seeds, you have to spit out the seed, just suck it off, you know, or do you eat the actual seed. This is a very difficult design. I don't know that anybody's ever decided this. Some people eat the seeds, some people spit out the seed. You know, this is... Uh, if you're lucky, you have one of those kids who actually counts to see if they're 613, you know. And as they're going through it, somebody eats a couple, you know. And, Throws off the whole count, you know, it's terrible. It happens every year by us. But, 
And that kid's now 30, so. <laughs> this has been going on a long time. Anyway, but, uh, but you know what that means? You, you see what the Chazal is saying? The worst Jew. Chazal is not talking about the people in this room. He's talking about the worst Jew. The most divided Jew. It's filled with mitzvahs, like a, like a Ramon. What an unbelievable idea. And you know where they tell the story? Tell the story about this guy who was pressuring this, this woman to, to have relations with him. She says to him, Shaita, where am I? Is there a mikvah I can go to? And he's like, oh yeah, Taka. They used to say, you know, you stop a Jewish Ghana, you hide his uh, Negovasa. You know what I mean? Because I, I shouldn't wash Negovasa. That, that I can't do. You know, he won't get out of bed, you know. So what's he going to do? You know? The worst Jew is filled with mitzvahs like a Ramon. The Ede Sheker that we start thinking about at the beginning of Elul, that's the Eitzahara. That's the voice inside of us who says, HaKadosh Baruch who doesn't care what we do. I don't want to do mitzvahs. I'm Be'etzim, a bad guy. All of that is Sheker. Even if we sometimes repeat what we hear. Because I, I think it's me, because the Eitzahara spoke in my voice. And he gave it over in my name. It's sheker. A person has to be able to see through that sheker and understand who they really are. Says so Jesus guys share, what's the Iker Avoda of Elul Anila Dodiva Dodi Li? It's not just a cute thing. That's the Iker Avoda. I have to spend a whole month saying Hakadosh Baruch Hu loves me. Kianu Avdechaviata Lokeinu that's it we're your beloved and you're our beloved and that's it that's what life is all about and we know this on a very very deep level and that's what a person has to we, 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 we can't go into a shun without an elo an elo is anilo do divido dili that's what we have to do we have to mamish make ourselves understand that we're tzaddikim that we're great people yeah it's a scary thought but let's face it if the people in this room don't bring Mashiach who's gonna? it's up to us and Mashiach comes we don't know how many of the things that we did are going to be written in that, that Sefer Torah that they're going to bring out all of the unbelievable mice and Torah and there are people who can't imagine that they're in there and we left said the Vart ones you know, if Ruvain knew that it said that he saved uh, Yosef, he would have picked him up on his shoulders and carried him back to his father. If uh, Aaron would know that he was, it said the Semach Belibo when he went to meet uh, Moshe, he would have come with a brass band. You know, if um, if uh, Boaz knew that it said that he gave uh, Biel to Rus, he would have made a you know a uh, like Shlomo Melech. So he says, "What do you mean? Because the camera's running." I was, I was at a bar mitzvah at the Kaisel. I was just about to say Shema, and the video guy comes right on me. Oh, what a Shema, I said. Shema, I said, Allah Kavanus, and I was like, unbelievable. And I take away my hand, and he's gone. And my first thought was, wasted a perfectly good Shema. <laughs> but the answer is, the video is always running. You understand? It's always going on. So what do you mean? They didn't realize the video was on? He says, no, they didn't realize it was significant. If they thought it was significant enough for the Torah to write it down, 
Because the Torah doesn't write down everything. Yitzchak was 75 when his father was Nifta. Avraham. I assume they had many conversations during their lifetime. The Torah records one. Where's the sheep? You're the sheep. That's it. That's the only exchange between Abraham and Yitzchak that the Torah chose to record. So, I don't know what I'm doing is significant. Do I know what I'm doing is significant? Do I know what's being written down in that Sefer Torah? But if I understood, yeah. I don't have to be the most powerful guy. I just have to be the one who tips the balance. The entire world is half and half and everyone has done it. And you're that little kid in Horace, here's a who. You know what I mean? Who, his last voice will be the one that pushes it over the edge. You're the one who's going to decide the fate of, of Yisrael, the fate of the universe. Everything comes down to you at the end. I was living in Los Angeles. And just before in the Ela, Rashiva got up and he said, um, Yom Kippur is over in Israel. Yom Kippur is over in Europe. Yom Kippur is over in New York. The only place Yom Kippur still is taking place is here in Los Angeles. And we're going to decide the fate of the entire world. And I thought to myself, Oi, never. <laughs> L.A.? <laughs> somebody, when I moved to L.A., somebody said to me, you know how it says Yerushalayim's on the top of the earth? It says, turn it over and you'll see the bottom is Los Angeles. <laughs> it was not true physically, it's sure true spiritually, you know. Then we're going to make that decision. It doesn't matter whether we're the best. We're it. We're Klai Yisrael. We don't have to have been the best Jews that ever lived in history. We're the ones who are left. And we're still here. HaKadosh Baruch Hu, we're still here. All the Yidin have dropped out in the centuries, in the millennia. All the Yidin who don't care enough to come on a Thursday night and be able to sit and listen to a shir. We're it. We are the cream of the crop. We're the best that Klai Yisrael has to offer. And we're the ones who are going to bring Mashiach. And we're the ones who are going to guarantee that Klai Yisrael has a mitzah Hashem, a Thank you very much.